Welcome to Psychology to Live By. Uh, today's a Q&A with some really helpful people. Our topic is Mental Health Part 1, How to Help Conversationally. And our very generous participants have watched the podcast of that name, which you can see or listen to at my website, drchris.life. But I'll do a quick summary now before we jump into our Q&A. Over the past 20 years or so, public awareness and acceptance of ill mental health has grown enormously. People are much more open to acknowledging it and talking about it. But despite our advances, nearly two-thirds of people with a mental health disorder never seek help from a health professional. This is one of the main reasons for learning how to conduct a helping conversation to assist people in getting professional help. So how prevalent is poor mental health? The global rates are pretty steady. Around one in seven people globally have one or more mental health or substance use disorders each year. So mental ill health at some time in life is pretty normal, with about half of us experiencing it at some point. This is another very good reason for talking to people. It's so common. So generally, what are we on the lookout for? The key is to notice negative changes in a person across a range of, of observable things. This might include a drop in work performance or they might be withdrawing. It could be a decline in cognitive functions like memory or problem solving or concentration. They might just be obviously upset or just not themselves. The key thing is that if you've made these observations and you have a feeling that something's wrong, you probably should talk with them about it. You should conduct this helping conversation. Why? Well, we know that being able to talk about one's stresses or struggles with someone who genuinely cares and is not judgmental is incredibly helpful for them. So having the conversation is the single most important thing you can do. You are not diagnosing, you're not counselling, but you are telling a person you're concerned and you want to help. And you base it on observables, which keeps bringing things back to tangible realities. You're not doing therapy, but you are primarily listening with an attitude of kindness and caring. In the podcast, we outline a simple and very effective technique called AWES that forms the foundation for the helping conversation. It's based on very deliberate, non-judgmental listening and reflecting. And that leads naturally to action and problem solving. The key here is to mobilise the person towards getting help, whether that's counselling, a general practitioner, a financial advisor, a personal trainer, or perhaps conversations with a supervisor about adjustments to their work for a period of time. If you follow these steps, be assured you're doing the very best thing that can be done for someone suffering from mental ill health. It's not magic, but it's the most effective thing for, for preventing mental ill health worsening. And as they say, a stitch in time saves nine. All right, so that's by way of summary of the, um, of the podcast. And what I'd like to do now is to move us to uh, our Q&A. And as promised, here are our very generous uh, people. And um, as always, you know, I'm, I'm interested 
in what you took from the podcast and, of course, any insights or observations that you have. Uh, so who'd like to sort of kick us off? I can jump in, Dr. Chris. I um, Thanks, Karen. Absolutely. The, um, actually, I have a question of in approaching the open questions. Um, do you yeah. kind of think of like, I was trying to hypothesize how I would approach a situation like this and uh, with somebody who might be like, oh, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Do you have any suggestions or examples of what a good starter open question would be? Yes. So um, we might just, you know, for the for, for the people watching this um, or listening, uh, the open questions is the first part of the acronym OARS. So you have open questions, affirmations, uh, reflections, and summaries. All right. And so, yes, when you're initiating the conversation, you, you, you're likely to start with um, open questions. But as you say, it's extremely common, especially you sort of take people by surprise, as it were. You're coming up and you're saying, is everything all right? You know, sort of thing. And, and, and they'll go, yeah, I'm fine even if they're not fine. And uh, like in Australia, they'd, they'd say, it's all good. <laughs> and uh, so this is why it's very important. Like you wouldn't be having this conversation if you didn't hadn't been observing very concrete things. So I think what you do is you say, you know, say the person's name's John. You say, look, John, I'm, 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 I'm a bit worried about you because I've observed A, B, C and D, right? And then you ask the open question and you shut up. And um, that outlining of, uh, these aren't interpretations, they're observations. The outlining of sort of concrete facts, things that have been observed, it, it gives them something concrete and it also gives them time to not be so surprised by... Uh, this, this strange turn of events, you know, where you've come up and said, are you okay? All right. Now, sometimes people aren't ready. And uh, this is quite common. And, you know, and so it's rare that this conversation is just a one-off. So what I would say to a person, like even you might give them the observations and they go, look, no, I'm fine. I'd rather not talk about it. And, you know, of course, you respect that. But I, what I would then say to a person is, I, you know, I might even say, look, I completely respect that, but I'm still concerned. I'm going to touch base with you on Thursday. It's three o'clock, okay? And one of the reasons for doing that is it does give them time to sort of process. It also demonstrates um, your commitment to them, Right. And then, and then, of course, it is important that at three o'clock on Thursday, <laughs> you, do, you, you, you do follow up. Um, so does that sort of answer the, the, the main thrust of your, of your question there? It really, that gives me um, some great insight into approaching it from the seat of the observer. These are the things I've observed. If they still, if, they, if there's still hesitation to open up, you're, you've you've opened the door to that um, um, that area of support that they know that you're there, and then the follow up after. Yeah, that, that's that's very helpful. Yes, and 
you know, often what can happen is even when you follow up, they say, you know, and it depends on your relationship with them. You know, you may not be the best person in their life to have the conversation. So, you know, and like you may not know them that well or, you know, or there could be a power imbalance, whatever it is. Um, so that's, I would then say to a person, look, you don't have to talk to me, but have you got someone in your life? Have you got support around you? Okay. You know, and again, you're seeding ideas in their mind that it's an intelligent and a practical thing to, is, is to talk to someone, right? And the more relaxed we can be about it, the more sort of matter of fact, like we're describing the weather, mm-hmm. uh, the better. You know, that implicitly undermines this sort of idea of there being stigma attached to this and so on, you know, that that you're allowed to talk about this stuff. It's pretty normal. Yeah. Fantastic. All righty. What about you, you you two guys, Colin and Terry? Well, being what, that I'm the guy here. Um, are you, can't we say that generically now? Like yes, the guys? Uh, yeah, Absolutely. Okay. okay. Um, and I use it generically constantly. Yeah, good. Um, what happens if you're asked that question every single day? I work from home. And when I come out of my office, my wife is like, are you okay? <laughs> so what am I supposed to do? Good question. Um, I don't think I'm mentally <laughs> bananas. Um, and I actually think that ores can be used not just for mental health, but just for, oh, totally. just yeah. as a, a very broad and very effective communi- communication tool, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. But what happens when you're asked that question every, like, I don't know, multiple times a day? <laughs> well, I, I'd be asking, if, if we had your wife here, <laughs> which we don't, I'd be asking her, what are her observables? Yeah, what, what, what's she basing the observation on? Are you looking grumpy? Are you looking tired? <laughs> you know? I'm assuming uh, it's coming from a compassionate place. Um, I hope so. I mean, usually yeah, yeah. I'm going out to get hot water or a snack or between Zoom calls. Yeah, yeah. No, and look, and sometimes, I mean, you know, it doesn't mean much at all. You I know, hope so. Uh, yeah, it it's like a, it's like saying hi. You know, you know. Frequently, when we greet people, we say, "How are you?" You know, uh, everything good, or we might say, "Is everything okay?" You know, and so. We don't want to over-pathologize your relationship either, Terry. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I just I just found it interesting that that's a good opening. It you know, is question. And, and, and I and, get that question like three or four times a day. <laughs> yeah, and there's clearly nothing wrong. What am I not clicking into here? Right. No, 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 everything's fine. I think you know that too. But I think the um your other point uh, merits some discussion. Like yeah, the broader use of that. Yeah, that tool, right? Yes, yes. So obviously, um, the oars uh, is—I don't even know who invented it, but um, it wasn't invented solely for the, for uses in 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 therapeutic situations or as in the, these helping conversations. It's basically a tool for creating rapport. But but I actually think uh, it's a very good model uh, for listening in general. Um, you know, what people discover, I, I do a lot of training of people as coaches and um, and we use the oars as a part of that training. And um, probably the most common problem that people come up with in, in practising it is they realise that 
um, they're impatient to speak. That they, they realise that they're only half listening. They're sort of reloading. And um, uh, I, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, I remember years ago, I was in a sort of, I, I guess, a, you know, I wasn't depressed, but it was a sort of down period in my life, you know, and I, I sort of entered in this sort of uh, in, in, informally, entered into a sort of period of reflection about what makes life worthwhile. And uh, what I landed on was great conversations. And, and what I mean by a great conversation is, um, you know those conversations where you might start opposite each other, talking at each other, but at some point you realise you're side by side and, you, and you've forgotten yourself and the other person's forgotten themselves and you're engaging on this topic out there. So in other words, there's this sort of self-forgetting, time passes quickly, it, it seems to be really good for you. It's, it's enlivening. And so then I thought, well, what are the conditions, you know, that make conversations just generally uh, more like that? And I sort of came up with a simple little model, you know, and I, th I think it's got these three experiences that lead to it. And it's, it's this giving this experience to the other person is, 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 what, is what I try to teach in coaching and in the helping conversation. The first experience, the minimal one, is that the person has the experience of being heard. Once they're heard, though, the next step is, and what sits on top of that, is they have the experience of being understood. But even that's not enough. I mean, you could go to a shop and order some milk and they give you the milk. You, you wouldn't call that a great conversation. <laughs> so what's the third thing that then builds on that? And it's the experience of feeling accepted. So this is that sort of non-judgmental, uh, you know, where you just feel affirmed. And when we accept people, it doesn't necessarily mean that we agree with everything they're saying, but as a person, they feel accepted. Anyway, so I think the oars is, is like the perfect sort of technique because it's really based on deep listening and affirmations, reflecting what people said, and then capturing it in a summary. Now, if you practice that broadly, people love you because <laughs> they just, you know, I went to a party once and we didn't, my wife and I didn't know many people there and we, she went one way and I went another. And I was talking to this guy for quite a long time and then my wife and I came back together and she said, who is that guy? And I said, oh, I don't know his name. <laughs> I said, but he's, he's very interesting. He's lovely. Lovely chap. And she said, oh, what's he do? And I go, oh, I don't know. <laughs> she said, she said, what did you talk about? And I thought about it and I realised, oh, I talked about me. And, and what I realised was he was very interested in me and therefore I found him very interesting. And I really liked him, even though I knew nothing about him. Remind yeah. me not to hire you to do job interviews. <laughs> you would know nothing about the person that you interviewed, but you'd feel great. Exactly. Karen, take yeah. note. Yeah. 
So, but yet, so I think the oars is it has much broader applicability. But you can see in the context of mental ill health, it's very even just the. Although I said you're not doing therapy, if you listen to people in this sort of way, it's really good for them. You know, so but you know, it's obviously it's not doing clinical work, but why not? Why not give people these three experiences? And, yeah. and I think and the, the oars, Karen? It's just building that safety, that feeling of safety where then they will perhaps get to a place where they feel comfortable to open up. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, that's the hard thing. You know, when people, there's a tendency, particularly with de depressive illnesses, there's a tendency for people to want to withdraw and to not talk. So if we can reward people for talking, then it makes the next step, all that, you know, to, to go to a professional, all, all that easier. You know, that was a good experience and they felt better. Yeah. Fantastic. And Colleen, what what great insights or, or questions are lurking in that in that very large mind of yours? <laughs> you know, I think obviously there are varying degrees of mental health issues. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that wars is is really important. I think so much of it comes from connection and and feeling heard. And I think you hear about when people are suffering from anxiety there's that loop that they just get stuck in this loop and just engaging in that conversation breaks that loop yes. and then they can see yeah something outside of that and yeah i think that's the hardest part of of um dealing with anxiety or somebody who's dealing with anxiety but I think this, so much yeah. of it comes from isolation and and not getting out of your own head. That's a fantastic insight. Um, you know, I couldn't agree more. You probably saw me just nodding and nodding as you were talking because so much of mental ill health is is a problem of separation and of 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 going exclusively inward. Um, you know, so rumination, um, feeling alone you know, feeling unworthy, feeling um, feeling different to, to everyone else and, and so on. And, you know, in terms of our nature, that's what makes us unwell because we're incredibly social creatures. You know, we're designed to be living at very close quarters with people, you know, if you're thinking back to the Stone Age and the African savannah, you know, we're sort of designed to live with the same people uh, at close proximity for our whole life. So there's no hiding in that kind of environment, right? I mean, you might go and sit in a cave for a couple of days, but you, you soon have to leave because you're hungry, right, and you have to interact again. But in modern life, you know, we can hide in all kinds of ways. The people we at work might just be acquaintances and we keep ourselves separate and then we go back to our cave, you know, and we eat in. So I think this, um, you're right, that the, what the oars does is it's such a, um, and they're helping conversation generally because it's, there's more to it than just the oars, right? There is this obvious statement of, of concern and intent to help. There's obviously this, this whole stance of non-judgmental and a sort of practicality or pragmatics of, moving the conversation then to 
who do you think can help? You know, and, and it might be a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but just as commonly it could be, as I said, like a financial planner or a, you know, a personal trainer, you know, or a supervisor at work. Um, but it's that, um, it, it's that they're not in a, they're not alone. They, they don't have to, and, and, you know, and that it's not a weakness that, 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 that they need, that they can talk to or may need to talk to other people to get outside of um, the prison of their own thinking. Um, yeah. Dorothy Rowe was an English psychologist and she, she wrote a book, I think it was called, it was certainly a phrase in her book, Depression is a Prison. And what she meant by that was it, it's, uh, it's a bit like, a, you know, the romantic poet William Blake, he talked about, the mind forged manacles of man, you know, that we, we create these sort of binders uh, in the way we think. And we need another person to be able to look at our reality in a slightly different way. Curiously, I'd say 90% of the time, that new way of looking doesn't come from the, the person who's doing the listening. It comes from the person who's doing the suffering. But it's the way of listening that we hold the way they're normally, um, you know, their, their normal way of thinking. We sort of take that off them and hold it for them, which then frees their mind up to go somewhere else. So what you'll typically find, you know, again, it's not therapy in that very, in that really high clinical sense, but it's helpful because what will happen is, let's say you you tell the person I'm worried, these are the things I've observed, you know, you were crying yesterday, you know, uh, you snapped at, at John and normally you're your best of friends, um, you know, and you tell him that you, you, you unload these observations and then you listen. Once they've sort of said all the things that are going on and you accurately summarise it, there's a sort of pregnant pause there's a, there's a sort of hiatus and your job as a listener there is to keep it zipped you know to be quiet because again nine times out of ten that person's gonna gonna say something like what do you think i should do about it or i ought you know that there's a natural move towards action uh or problem solving now, at that point of time, you move beyond uh, listening to saying, well, have you thought about seeing a, you know, a financial planner or have you thought about talking to your boss, right? And, and obviously, you three are also highly intelligent, very practical, uh, generous, helpful people. You might have an idea or two yourselves, right? But they're secondary to the ideas that come out of that person's mouth. Uh, yeah, so that's a really... I hadn't actually thought about it that clearly in that way, Colleen, that it is this sort of antidote to this sort of imprisonment and this loneliness in, in, inside a way of thinking that's, that's really causing them to suffer. Yeah, so thank you for that. Look, as usual, you have not disappointed... Um, I'm glad you found the, the 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 podcast like interesting and useful. Um, 
you know, and I really, uh, I really hope that people um, watch the full podcast and get a sense of how, because it's not hard. It's, it's quite simple. Oh, actually, I, I should qualify that. It's simple, but it's not easy. <laughs> it's, uh, a lot of simple things are like that, but practicing it is a really important thing, not just for these helping conversations, but as Terry was indicating, for conversations in general. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. And I very much look forward to, we've got, we have a second part of the mental health uh, series and that will be, we'll come back together at some point and talk about managing uh, ill mental health at work. But until then, I'll see you guys. See you later.